Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, Rethink Life Church. How you guys doing today? You guys doing good? Hey, do me a favor and Welcome those that are watching us online today. We're honored to have all of you, not just in person, but even those that are watching us today online. Always grateful and honored to have you join with us. And uh, man, I'm excited about today. Well, hey, I have something that I want to encourage you to do today. How many of you know that Easter's coming? Come on, somebody. You've been hanging out under a rock if you haven't been keeping up with what's going on because Easter is around the corner. Hey, it's Resurrection Day and we are excited. However, one of the keys to having a successful and effective Easter Sunday is to invite people, right? And so it's one of the easiest and the best opportunities you could ever have to reach out to a neighbor, maybe a co-worker, uh, maybe a family member, invite them to be a part of our Easter worship experiences. In fact, today, on your way out, we have some amazing Dream Team volunteers who actually assembled, you ready for this, 500 of these little Easter baskets. And these little Easter baskets have some eggs and some candy. There's an invite card. So tomorrow, we would encourage you to take one of the, and I know for some of you guys, you may think you're going to lose your man card walking in with a little pink basket like this. Okay, just get over it. All right, we're talking about Easter Sunday, okay? But listen, grab some Easter baskets, take them to work. And you know what? You may have some neighbors. You may have some young families. You may have some kids in your neighborhood. What an opportunity to take one of these Easter baskets, invite them to be a part of our Easter celebration services on Easter Sunday. And because everything is already built in for you, it's a natural conversation piece. Now, I got to warn you, okay? There is a right way and there is a wrong way when it comes to using these baskets and knowing how to effectively invite people to Easter. So knowing that there's a right way and there's a wrong way and to help you better understand what that means, you need to watch this video. So check this out. It's your neighbors, Jim and Joanna Sanders. Yeah, we made you some Easter eggs. We sure did. Yeah. Hey, since you're the man of the house, I want to come talk to you mono e mano. Oh. <laughs> See what he did there? You're a man. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just take a minute. I don't want to take away from that pagan golf tournament that you're probably watching in there. But it did hit me when I saw the trashy secular Easter decorations that you have outside your house that you probably don't go to church to worship our Lord and Savior except for Christmas and Easter like 68.7% of the rest of the American population. Oh, you're my little man, please. None for the neighbors stay on track. Oh, oh, well, the reason why we're here is because we wanted to invite you to our Easter services at our church. Now, I've made the plan of salvation into these Easter eggs here, and each color represents something you've done wrong. What my dear wife is trying to say, when we leave on a Sunday morning to go to church, your car stays out in the driveway, which makes me know that you probably don't go to church unless you're holding a church service in there or something, but I don't think so. So how about you pack up your brood and you come with us to church service on Easter Celebration Sunday, huh? Yes. Okay, sure. 
I mean, my, my wife and I were just talking about where we would go this Easter, so sure, we'll give your, your church a shot. Houston, we have a problem. What's the matter? No one's ever said yes to us before. Oh, uh, what do we do? Well, we just back away slowly, oh, all right? Okay, okay. Okay, don't look at him in the oh, eye. Oh, he could oh, take away your soul. Okay, okay all um, right. Well, just leave the eggs in the mailbox. You sure will. Now, the big red one represents your sin. <laughs> it's the sin egg. All righty. <laughs> we hope to see you there. We'll save you a seat, okay? Really? No, that's just an intimidation tactic. <laughs> okay, toodles. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, I think you get the idea, right? So, here's a right way and a wrong way. Don't do it that way. But take advantage of the built-in invite opportunities. So take some of these baskets. I encourage you to take multiple baskets. If you've got people that you know you can help distribute those uh, and put those into the hands with. But let me tell you something. It's going to be an amazing, amazing Sunday. Easter Sunday. And we're excited for what God is going to do. By the way, we have also yard signs that are available. So you can pick up some yard signs. Put them in maybe the front yard or maybe in an area that you know will be uh, a perfect spot to get a lot of attention where a lot of people will be able to see those. And so, listen, the countdown is on and we want to do everything that we can to make sure that people are aware of the opportunity right here at Rethink Life Church. Well, hey, we are concluding a series that we've been in over the last uh, several weeks. We've been really just focusing around a theme verse found in Matthew chapter 9. And today we're going to conclude that. And the series has been called Like Jesus. And one of the things that we've been learning is we've been learning as we've been looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, we've learned that in order to be like Jesus, we've got to first see like Jesus. Because when we see like Jesus, it helps us to feel like Jesus, gives us a heart of compassion. And not only do we want to feel like Jesus and have those compassionate hearts toward people that are lost, who matter to God, matter to us. But we also have to do our part when it comes to serving like Jesus. And by the way, last week we had 30 brand new people that said, hey, count me in. We know the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I want to be one of those laborers that God is going to use to go out into the harvest field. So thank you, thank you for those of you who helped fill one of those cards out and said, sign me up. I want to help make a difference. And so being like Jesus, one of the ways we do that is to serve like Jesus. And today we're wrapping up this series when it comes to praying like Jesus. Now, one of the things that I want to just honestly, just very uh, candidly ask you is to think about somebody that you know, a classmate, a coworker, maybe a family member, it could be your spouse, it could be a son or daughter, it could be a neighbor, it could be somebody that maybe you've crossed paths with. But let me ask you a specific question. The people that you know in your sphere of influence how many of you know of somebody, to the best of your knowledge, they are not a Christian? Let me see your hands. To the best of your knowledge, you know of somebody in your circle of influence that is not a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting that when you think about people in our lives, they're everywhere, right? And what I want to encourage you to do for just a moment is I want to encourage you to take the person that maybe popped in your, your mind as you raised your hand a second ago and said, yeah, I know of somebody. Would you do me a favor right now, before I go any further, why don't you take this 
this connection card. Take your pen, and I just want you to jot down their first name somewhere there on the notes section of our connection card, okay? And you can participate as well there online. But I'm going to encourage you just to take your pen and put that person's first name. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something with those at the end of our service. But I'm going to ask you another question as you're thinking through that, preparing for that. How many of you have ever lost something that is very personal and valuable to you before? Let me see your hands. We've all, we've all perhaps, I'm sure, encountered that horrific experience where maybe we've lost something that had great meaning and value to our lives. My wife Michelle and I celebrated a number of years ago. We've been married now for over 30 years, but several years back we hit that milestone, our silver wedding anniversary of 25 years. And so I wanted to do something that I knew that would be a you know, a moment to uh, kind of serve as a milestone, uh, something tangible that I could give to Michelle. And uh, it would just be this, this, you know, this, this piece of jewelry that I knew that would be a, a tremendous blessing to her, but also would be something meaningful for me because of the opportunity to give something like this to her. And so I bought her a diamond tennis bracelet. And of course, she was thrilled over that and you know, man, it was, a, it was a, you know, just a cool opportunity to, to uh, really just kind of put the seal on 25 years of doing life and marriage together. Well, she's worn this on countless occasions. And we went to a wedding not too long ago, several years ago. And uh, she, of course, as always, she would put that uh, tennis bracelet on her wrist. And, and so we went to this wedding. And uh, I'll never forget when we were... Uh, on our way to the wedding, I'm sure uh, there's no other uh, females that do this, but Michelle was continuing to get ready in the car. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? She puts the visor down. She's still putting her makeup on and her lipstick and, you know, mascara, all that stuff. And so I'm driving and we're going over to the Melbourne Beach area. And so uh, in the process of her putting the final touches of you know, you know her, her outfit and everything that she had put together there uh, for this awesome occasion of attending this wedding. Well, one of the things that obviously she did is she put this bracelet on. But after the wedding and we got back in the car, and I don't know, it may have been perhaps later that evening when we got home, she realized that the bracelet was missing. And we thought to ourselves, where in the world? What could have happened? May we search the car? We started calling people, wanting to know the people that we knew, if they may have seen it or picked it up or somehow, you know, they could help spread the word that we had this bracelet that was missing. And we were just like distraught. Not only did it cost a lot of money, but man, it had sentimental value. It was the 25th wedding anniversary, this token that I had worked hard to prepare to save for. But at the end of the day, it was gone. It was that sick-to-the-stomach feeling. You know what I'm saying? So we called the people there at the venue. Unfortunately, they had already shut everything down. We left a message. The very next day, they returned our call. They said, no, we haven't found anything. 
And we told, I told Michelle, I said, you know, we ought, to just, we ought to just go back. So we drove all the way back to Melbourne. We just started backtracking all of the steps. Man, we searched the parking lot. We looked all through the entire car multiple times, flashlights. I mean, every angle that we thought possible it could have fell into. And sure enough, after all of the time and effort and energy, we still never found, and still to this day, that bracelet is missing. By the way, if you find one, it's ours. <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, is that every so often, I'll be honest with you, every so often I go back into Michelle's car with a flashlight, I'm still convinced it's in there. But we still have this hopeful feeling that somehow, some way, that which was lost, that which had so much meaning and value to us is going to eventually be found. And there's something about this whole experience when we have something that has value and meaning to our lives and when it goes missing, we kind of go into this state of panic, right? It's, I mean, to take it a step further and to put some real skin and emotion on it, it's kind of like when a child goes missing and you have the amber alerts and then all of a sudden, the, the, the parents, the, the, the family, you know, the friends, everybody, they, they join the rescue party. Everybody's going out and they're seeking and they're searching. And, and day after day, week after week, sometimes months after months, and still for some parents, year after year, if a child is still missing, they don't give up. They still have that glimmer of hope that somehow, some way, that which was lost will be found. That child that is missing will turn up somehow, some way. And why? Because that child means everything. It's priceless. Jesus told a story. In fact, he told three specific stories to some religious leaders. These were, these were some religious elite. You know, the, the very religious individuals who kind of felt like they were above, you know, everybody else. And they looked down and condemned and criticized. They were, they were, you know, experts in religious law, so to speak. And they just had a hard time with Jesus. And so they began to criticize and judge Jesus because Jesus had been hanging out with a bunch of sinners. And I just love the fact that Jesus had a reputation of being a friend of sinners. Didn't mean that he did the same thing that everybody else did or agree or embrace what they did. He just knew that that is who he had come to reach. To seek and to save that which, that which was lost. And so these Pharisees begin to challenge Jesus for the very fact that he was having dinner with a group of sinners. And so Jesus began to go into these stories and he began to tell in Luke chapter 15 the story about a lost sheep. And we talked about that through this passage, we'll talk about it here in just a second. And then he talked about a woman who had lost a coin. And so to the, to the shepherd, the sheep that was lost, it meant something. It mattered. Even though he had 99, that one was missing. And it, it had meaning. It had value to the shepherd. To the woman, it was equivalent to that one coin that was missing was equivalent to an entire day's wage. And so because of that, she was distraught. She looked and she searched everywhere in her house trying to find that missing coin because of its value. And then 
Jesus tells the story of this father and his son. And he had two sons and one specifically decided that he was going to go off and live his own life and do his own thing. And he asked for an advance of the inheritance that he was due. And so he took his money and he squandered it. He, he, he lived it up. And finally he came to the end of himself. And, but his son was missing. He was gone. The Bible says he went to a far country. We don't know specifically where that was, but we just know that it was a great distance. And as a result, the father had missed his son. He had longed for his son to come home, but his son was lost and he was missing. Jesus told these three stories, these illustrations to emphasize that the reason why all of that mattered because of the value that the sheep had to the shepherd that the coin had to the woman, and that the son had to the father. When you think about it, that's exactly the way we should live our lives. That when we raised our hand a few moments ago saying, I have a friend, I have a neighbor, I have a classmate, I got a coworker, I know somebody that's lost, that's not a Christian, the same feeling should resonate within our heart. Why? Because not only do they matter to us, but they ultimately matter to God. And we need to understand that who they are, regardless of what kind of life they have lived or what kind of lifestyle they're currently living or who they are, what they've done, at the end of the day, we need to understand that they matter to God. They are God's creation. And because they matter to God, they matter to God. And we must never, ever stop witnessing we must never stop inviting we must never stop praying we must never stop our search and here's the reason why because found people if you know Jesus that means you were once lost but you've been found but found people find people rescued people are busy in rescuing others and so how do we do that effectively well, we've been looking here in our verse of Scripture, our theme verse in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38. Let me read it to you one last time. Because Jesus had been going about the villages and the towns there in Galilee. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So he saw them. He was moved by the lostness of them. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. In other words, hey, there's more of them than there are of us. We need to gather more people to go and to serve and to be available and to do whatever it takes to reach those that are missing, that are lost. And then he made a statement. And here was his challenge. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers into his harvest field. So we all know people that are lost. We all know people who may not be followers of Jesus. And so one of the things that Jesus said we need to do first and foremost is we need to pray. We need to ask God, the one who's in charge of the harvest, to send people like you and me to go out. To be a part of the search and rescue party. To go and to find, to seek and to search those that are lost, that are missing, that are not where they could be or should be in their spiritual life. And ask God to use us as a way, as a tool 
as a mechanism to somehow, some way, bring them back to where they belong. So today I want to give you quickly seven ways to pray for people that you know that are not followers of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go through these quickly. So you're going to have to listen fast, and you're going to have to write fast. You all good with that? All right, so here we go. Number one is this. We need to pray believing. We need to pray believing. In Mark 11, verse 23, Jesus said it this way. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must, notice, really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. It's interesting, Jesus was using this metaphor with his disciples. They helped them to understand that, listen, what I'm showing you and what I'm demonstrating to you is impossible. He was trying to help them to understand that they should never put their focus on the object itself, but put their faith and their focus on the God who is able to do the impossible. And the only way that that can happen is when we really believe in our heart of hearts that God can move mountains, that God can take a hardened heart, somebody who is skeptical and cynical, or maybe somebody who just feels like, you know, they are what they've done. Maybe they don't feel worthy. Maybe they have been maybe locked up in a prison of guilt and shame because of their past or whatever their circumstances may be. And sometimes it's easy for us to focus on the hardship and the challenge and what this person is going to have to overcome rather than focusing and believing on the fact that God can do anything. I love what Jeremiah says that, listen, nothing is too hard for God. But it also says that it is impossible to please God without faith. So we got to number one, we got to pray believing. Number two, we need to pray knowing that all things are possible. Now I know that sounds similar to number one, but let me take it a step further. Because Jesus was, once again, giving an illustration to his disciples. And he was using the conversation that he had with this guy, by the, who, who, who we don't know his name, but he was referred to as the rich young ruler. Once again, guy very religious, somebody who was very powerful, he's very wealthy. And so he had a conversation with Jesus. And he was asking Jesus the question, What's, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus answered the question. He said, well, you must obey all the commandments. And this rich young ruler said, well, I've already done all that. But Jesus said, but there's one thing you lack. He said, you must sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And suddenly, when that reality hit, that this guy was going to have to give up his wealth, his money, his possessions in order to follow Jesus, the Bible says he turned away. He left grieving. He left sadly and walked away from the giver of life. And why? Because it wasn't the fact that it was wrong for this guy to have a lot of wealth and money and material possessions. There's nothing wrong with that. But the fact is, this guy had a lot of stuff. But the issue was, is that this guy's stuff had all of him. He had his heart. And because of that, he was, he was unwilling to give his full heart 
to Jesus Christ. And Jesus was trying to help his disciples to understand that, you know what? On a physical level, it would be just as hard for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than it would be or that it could be for somebody who is so hardened and someone who's so calloused and someone who is hanging on to so much, it would be easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who has no need for God in their life or the perception that they have no need for God because of their wealth, because of their false sense of security, because of what they have. And Jesus said, humanly speaking, it's very difficult. But he also said, with God, all things are possible. So God can take, no matter how hardened, God can take, no matter how difficult or challenging the circumstances might be, God can do the impossible. So we need to pray knowing that all things are possible. Number three, pray for God to be glorified. You know, it's interesting when you think about this, is that Jesus was having a conversation once again with his disciples. And he's giving them a heads up. He's getting ready to leave. He's going back to be with the Father. And these guys weren't quite ready for that. And and he was trying to give them a little heads up that, hey, I'm going to leave for your good. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to live and dwell inside of you. And he said, I'm going to be with the Father. But here's the deal. I'm going to send someone, the Holy Spirit. He's going to live inside of you. And he's going to empower you to do what you could never do on your own. So here's what's amazing. Is that these disciples basically were mesmerized by what Jesus was telling them. And he even went on to say that you will be able to do even greater works than me. And these guys were blown away with that. The fact that they had seen Jesus resurrect people from the dead with their very own eyes. And yet Jesus is saying, you're going to be able to do even greater works than me. It was like, boom. (laughs) No way. And Jesus said it this way. In John 14, 13, he said, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Why is that so important? Because it's easy sometimes for us to pray for somebody and want somebody to become a follower of Jesus Christ because we want a better husband or we want a better wife and we want our son or we want our daughter to, you know, to to live right. But that really is not the motive. The motivation is that the lost are found. The motivation is so that God will receive glory because of the miracle of salvation that takes place in the heart and the life of an individual. And so we need to understand that, listen, God is in the miracle working business and God wants to perform miracles in the hearts and in the lives. Listen, he wants to resurrect dead marriages. Listen, he wants to resurrect dead dreams. Listen, God wants to make Dead things alive. Those that are walking dead spiritually. He wants to resurrect them in the name of Jesus. Why? So that Jesus will receive the glory because of the changed lives that are taking place. And so that's why we should pray for God to be glorified. And that's why I love baptism, by the way. 
Let me tell you something. If you have never been baptized by immersion, that ought to be your most important next step in your spiritual journey. We're having baptism on the last Sunday of April. And the reason why I'm saying that is because, once again, that is a beautiful testimony of what Christ has done in the heart and in the life of an individual. And when a person goes down into the water and they're coming up out of the water, you know what they're representing? They're representing a changed life. They're representing the fact that they were once dead, but now they've been raised back to life. And the miracle of salvation has taken place in their heart and life. And I want to encourage you to get baptized. You can go to the Connect Tent and let them know, hey, I want to sign me up. I want to get baptized after Easter. It's an incredible way to give glory to God. Number four, we need to pray for God to awaken those that we know. Jesus was teaching to a a crowd of people there on the the shore. In fact, he, he actually hopped into a boat. And so here he is, he's, he's speaking from the bow of a boat to this large crowd of people there on the seashore. And it was interesting is that he began to kind of describe the different types of soils, likening the soils because they could all relate to the ground because he was speaking to a group of farmers. And so he's talking about the seed that goes on the different soils. And he said these words in Matthew 13. Verses 13 and 15, he said, That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. For their hearts, for the hearts of these people are hardened. He's likened it to the hardened path, the hardened soil, where basically the seed falls in that hardened path, and the the birds, they come and they just pluck them up. They steal, if you will, the seed. And he said, as a result, the people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. There are people living in our culture today now more than ever who are living in deceit. They have bought the lies And the narrative of this world and our present culture. And it's sad and unfortunate that the enemy uses the world system and its ways to twist and pervert the truth so that people buy in to the lies as truth. And therefore, not only does it blind their eyes and close up their ears, but their minds cannot understand the simplicity of the truth of the gospel. And because their hearts are hardened, it makes it even more challenging for people to open up their hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we need to pray that God will awaken their hearts that God will open up their minds so they can understand. That God will open up their eyes so they can see clearly. They will open up their ears so they can hear what it is that God is trying to say. Because at the end of the day, listen, the world will use power and wealth and will use influence and will use coercion, persuasion, and intellectualism. It will use all these things to convince people that, listen, they don't need God. 
They can be their own God. You can do what is ever is right in your own eyes. And that is what is exactly what is taking place in our culture today. People are doing what is right in their own eyes. Wrong has become right and right has become wrong. And people have justified it all because it's the way they see their own truth. And we need to say, God, please open up their hearts. Open up their eyes. Open up their minds. Open up their ears so they can hear the truth that God is wanting to say to them. Number five, pray for God to recover what belongs to him. Pray for God to recover what what belongs to him. When I was a little kid, my dad bought me a three-wheeler. And... Man, it was like my prized possession. He bought me a mini bike, but because I was so short, I couldn't reach the ground. So he took it back and he got me a three-wheeler. So, man, I I couldn't wait. Every single day, I couldn't wait to ride my little three-wheeler. We had this little field not too far from our our neighborhood. And I'd go out and ride, you know, my little three-wheeler. And one day, we were coming home from somewhere. And I see see these guys riding a three-wheeler. And I'm thinking, that's my three-wheeler. And I told my dad, and I actually had my brothers in the car. I said, hey, those guys have my three-wheeler. And they said, well, how do you know what's yours? I said, I know that's mine. That is my three-wheeler. Well, we said, well, we'll find out when we get home. Well, sure enough, we, we pull into the garage where, our, where my three-wheeler was supposed to be, and my three-wheeler was gone. So my brothers, being what big brothers do, they said, let's go find those guys. So we got back in the car, my dad, myself, and my brothers, and we went back where these dudes were. And you know what? We pulled up. They saw the fact that we knew what they were doing, that they had our three-wheeler, and they took off. And I kid you not, we chased after these dudes literally down an alley, and my brothers were flying in my dad's car when my oldest brother was driving. And we cornered these guys as they were trying to get inside of another garage and shut the door. And we cornered these guys, and guess what? I got my three-wheeler back. <laughs> it's exactly what God wants with his children. He said, I'm sick and tired of the devil stealing what belongs to me. And we got to pray that God brings back what belongs to him, that God will recover. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 25 and 26, it says it this way. Paul said to young Timothy, he said, hey, hey, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come, notice, they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. We need to understand that God has created every single person lost and saved. God has created every individual. They are his prize possession. But we got to understand that the enemy has blinded the minds and the hearts and the eyes and the ears of people. And because of their unbelief, the enemy has used everything he can to hold people hostage spiritually. He's keeping God's creation away from him. 
the creator. And God says, I want my children back. And we need to pray that God somehow will loosen and God will recover that which belongs to him. And number six, we need to pray for God to demolish strongholds. You say, how do we do that? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 tells us, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. You know, it's interesting. Again, the world, the culture, uses power and fame and influence and money and, you know, uh, again, intellectualism and all of this stuff to do what? To put people not only in a trap, but ultimately in a stronghold. And what's interesting is that God takes people like you and me, and he says, we don't fight with worldly weapons. In other words, we don't take those type of things and try to argue and try to reason and come to some kind of, you know, mutual understanding with one another. We are kind and we're polite, Paul said, that we need to be be aware and be sensitive and, and take the high road and do it with excellence and with class and do it with a, with a sensitive spirit and heart. But he said, here's what you need to do. You need to take faith, hope, love, the word of God, and the power of prayer to, and the power of the Holy Spirit to literally take down the strongholds that are serving as a wall that are keeping people away from God. Just like the people of Jericho. Remember, they circled Jericho seven times for an entire week. And on the seventh day, when they circled the city seven times, and on the last time, what happened? When the trumpets sounded, the walls came down. And we need to pray for the walls to come down that are holding people back from giving their lives to Jesus Christ. Number seven. Y'all getting this? All right. Got to hurry. Number seven, and this is so important, we got to pray perseveringly. Michelle sent me a quote this morning from Billy Graham. It was so good. Those who have turned the tide of history have turned it by means of prayer. This should be the motto of every follower of Jesus Christ. Never stop praying, no matter how dark and hopeless it may seem. What is perseverance? It's not giving up, right? It's not giving up. It's not throwing in the towel. And what we need to do is we need to pray that the devil takes his hands off that which belongs to God. In Luke 18, verse 7, Jesus said it this way. Don't you know that God, the true judge, will grant justice to all his chosen ones, listen to this, who cry out to him night and day? He will pour out his spirit upon them. He will not delay to answer you and give you what you ask for. 
And I know some of you might be saying, but you don't understand. I have been praying. I've prayed for my husband. I've prayed for my wife. I've prayed for my son and my daughter. I've prayed for that coworker. I've prayed for people in my life that I know that are not followers of Jesus Christ. But you know what? I don't know that God is answering my prayer. Here's what you need to understand. That God is going to answer your prayer. In fact, he may have already answered your prayer. But God is going to answer prayer in his way, in his timing, according to his plan. But he doesn't want you to give up. We don't pray perseveringly asking God not to give up. God doesn't give up. But what we need to do is pray perseveringly that we don't give up in our prayers. That we keep seeking, we keep asking, we keep knocking. We are faithful and persistent in prayer. The Bible says, hey, do not grow weary in doing good. So we got to keep sowing. We got to keep believing. We got to keep persevering. We got to keep asking. We got to keep knocking. We got to keep being persistent that in God's will and God's way, God is going to align people, circumstances. Listen, he's going to orchestrate circumstances and opportunities where doors will be open for that person, that husband, that wife, that son, that daughter, that classmate, that neighbor, that coworker, that somehow, some way, God will use our prayer to change their hearts. And I'm living proof of that. My mom and my dad have four sons today. By the way, if my oldest brother's listening, happy birthday, Daniel. He turned 70 years old today. He led me to Jesus Christ. My brother Daniel, who's the oldest of four sons, was kicked out of the house by my parents because of alcohol and drugs and a lifestyle that did not represent my parents' faith and values. And in his mid-twenties, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, Jesus radically changed his life. My next to the oldest brother, same scenario, alcohol, drugs, into the party scene, went to the number one party school in America back in the early 70s, mid-70s. Got kicked out. It's a pretty hard thing to do. Messed up, living for the world. In his mid-20s, he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and Christ radically changed his life. My brother Rick, and there's seven years difference between my brother Rick and I, and he was a very successful athlete, played college football, went into co- coaching college football. And, and it was while he was at a, at a coaching opportunity at a school where he was coaching that God began to do a great work in his life because he started attending a Bible study and one thing led to another and my brother gave his life to Jesus and through it all God did an amazing work in my three brothers' lives and I idolized my three older brothers and one night this was just a few weeks before I graduated from high school i never forget it. April 22nd, 1984. 
my oldest brother that I just referenced was speaking at a church, sharing his personal testimony. And at the end of the service, he asked people to pray. And he asked people, he said, if you need Jesus in your life, he said, I want you to raise your hand. I raised my hand. I was sitting in the back. And you know what I did that night? During the prayer, I actually got up from my seat and I walked up to my brother. And he was at this church where they had stairs that went down. And I walked up to him and I grabbed him by the arm. And he looked down at me and he put his hand over the microphone. And here's what he said. He goes, what do you need? He was confused. And I said, Daniel, I need Jesus. And my brother... turned 70 years of age today in the microphone in front of the church took his Bible and he led me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ it's today my mom and my dad are in heaven but they are the proud parents of four sons as they are looking down upon us today who are all four preachers of the gospel sharing the hope of Jesus And I just wanted to say, whatever you do, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit on that husband. Don't quit on that, that wife. Don't quit on that son or that daughter. Don't quit on that neighbor. Don't quit on the, those family members that you know. Don't quit on people because God's not quitting on us. And he wants us to be a part of the search and rescue team. And he wants us to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask God that he would send forth more people like you and me. Because found people find people. Would you join me in prayer today? Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.